This program contains adult content. Is there a God? A big atheist. Really? What, am I an idiot? Come on. That yes, it would be nice if you could throw your sins and your responsibilities on someone else. But it's not true. It looks like far left lunacy. I don't believe that it's true that religion is moral or ethical. You don't need to follow anybody! It's not human intelligence! If someone doesn't value logical consistency, what logical argument are you going to give them that will demonstrate that they should? Hello and welcome to the Godless Revolution. Today is Sunday, July 11th. This is episode 341. My name is Dan Ellis and I am joined via remote connection through the Googles and the internet boxes by two awesome co-hosts, Mr. Ryan Duffy. That would be this gentleman here with the fabulous mustache. <laughs> because everybody can see that. <laughs> yes, of course. But I just I gotta I gotta make sure they know. And Mr. Still here. Mr. Taylor Grin. And that's me gaze upon this wonderful, luscious fucking beard. <laughs> oh, I am jealous. Mm-hmm. I think we all are sporting some pretty damned impressive facial hair. It's taken some work, but it's it's magic. <laughs> so we haven't actually spoken with each other for a couple of weeks because we took a week off for the holiday. What has been going on with you guys? Let's uh, start with let's start with you, Mister Mister Grin. Oh my God! So a couple big things. Um, first of all, uh, Sandra and I got a kitten. Um, we uh, we've always wanted to get a second cat, so that the cat that we presently have, Avocado, he's about five. We we don't want him to like grow old and like lazy and just sleep all day. So we've always wanted him to have like another cat around um, so that like there's somebody home when we leave and that kind of thing. Um, so he doesn't get lonely. And um, we stumbled upon these kittens at a, uh, like at a, how much you call it? Like a non-for-profit display. And uh, one of these kittens also had feline herpes, um, which Ooh. is not as it's, Everybody hears herpes and thinks, yeah. like, oh, shit, that's really terrible. But for, like, cats, it basically means that they just, like, regularly get very mild upper respiratory um, oh, yeah. infections and, like, eye goop. Like, really fucking bad eye goop, which I'm pretty familiar with treating eye issues. Like, I'm basically <laughs> putting the same shit in my cat's eyes as I do myself. Um, so we knew that, like, and it was only one kitten, the runt out of the litter, that had this this infection, right? And it's lifelong. We are like... Well, shit. <laughs> it's a black cat, which means it's less likely to get adopted. It's the mm-hmm. runt, and it's got this thing that our cat has. So we picked him up, and he has been about as good as you can expect from a kitten, which is still a total hellion. So that has just been <laughs> exhausting. Um, and so if you hear any meows in the background, um, it's because I've got our older cat in the office with me right now hopefully still sleeping but getting some time away from the kitten which really badly wants to play with him <laughs> and he just wants to take his eight hour nap yeah. so avocado yeah. and needs a also break. sorry another thing happened to me um somehow the mormons found out where i live <gasps> oh no <laughs> well, i i have evaded missionaries for 15 years now and last night while Sandra was out of town. And so I was alone at the house Two women missionaries came by 
and asked for me by first and last name. Oh, wow. And like, yeah. Any other time I would have been like, oh, please come into my web, said the spider to the fly. <laughs> but I didn't want to be alone in the house with like two female missionaries, you know, and expose myself to any like potential, you know, like accusations or anything like that. If they became uncomfortable with me challenging their faith, um, I just didn't feel comfortable with that without having at least another person around. Mm-hmm. Um, and Sandra was at an album release party for her, uh, for her best friend, by the way, sister bot, go check it out. Um, uh, fantastic album. Um, but yeah, so now I've got to like figure out a way to either like get back at the Mormon church. I've considered going there during the fast and testimony meeting and just like, you know, fucking, Oh, captain, my captaining something <laughs> about that. Uh, I don't know yet, but now that they know where I live, uh, a response must be levied. So that's, that's what's been going on in my life. Oh, fun. So did they, did they try to proselytize at all or did they set up plans to come and visit you again? No. So I, I wish that I had had a cooler head because I was, I was immediately both incensed that they came by. Of course. Um, trying to keep the kitten from escaping out into the world. Um, because it was like tearing at the front door yeah. and I had to pick him up. And so that That's was not what the world me. needs. Yeah, no, no, not at all. Not at all. He would get lost immediately um, under my porch. And then, <laughs> of course, I knew I was at the house alone. Right. So um, ordinarily, I would have like said, hey, you know, come back by at this time. But I didn't think of that. So I was like, I have not been a part of the church for like 15 years. Um, I am an atheist. Like, go away. Um, like I, I don't want to deal with you. And like, I pretty much immediately regretted that because I would rather have the opportunity to like try and interact with missionaries and like, I don't know, basically like damage their faith, (laughs) Um, show them, show them that like, I am living a happy life as a secular humanist and that that is possible and that I'm not like an angry, evil devil worshiper, like they're taught about me, Mm -hmm. but I just didn't have like the time or focus to do so. So I'm not really sure what my next step is going to be. Um, but I do want to like, I don't know if they know where I live, I'm not going to make it easy for them. Like I want to see what I can do to, you know, take advantage of this, I guess. (laughs) You you need to find some local members of the satanic temple and bring them over there to do, you know, stuff they do. And, you know, light some candles around a room, dress in all the garb and invite the Mormons into the house while that's going on and say, you want to join us in our, in our prayers. So my, I take like, I, I got in the Facebook discussion about this. Right. And like, if there's a street preacher, I'll go chest to chest with them and just start shouting them down. Right. Um, but if it's missionaries, I know that these are young, impressionable, like basically kids and they're taught that like, when they go door knocking, people who are ex-Mormons or, you know, anti-Mormon are going to tear them a new butthole and and like be mean to them and that they live in sin and all that shit. Right. So instead, what I try to do is like bring them in, give them you know a drink if they need to reach out to their families, because I know that they don't like they're not allowed to make phone calls. Right. Like I try to give them the option to do that. And I do everything I can to be as courteous as possible. Um to destroy that narrative that like people who are ex Mormons are bad. Right. Um, so that they instead walk away feeling good about the interaction that they had with me, which is going to make them feel 
conflicted about what the church has dogmatically told them about how their interaction with me would be, which will break their shelf a little bit. Um, and that is like a very specific strategy that I've engaged with, with missionaries of all stripes. Um, and, and the only reason I didn't do that last night is because Sandra was out of town. Um, so yeah, like that's, I know that a lot of people aren't that way. A lot of people are really irritated by missionaries. Um, the way I see it is like, these people are knocking on tons of doors, right? Oh yeah. Um, and if I can, if I can just give them a counter example, it only takes one, right? It only takes one for them to wonder, well, wait, I'm told that people who leave the church are miserable or angry or that they're spiteful. Like, and if I can make them, uh, wonder like, oh no, this person is perfectly happy. What if there is a version of life that is perfectly happy without the church, right? Like it's just that seed of doubt. That's really important to me to plant because otherwise like it's just a waste of my time, mm-hmm. right? If I, if I am aggressive towards a missionary, it's going to trigger their cognitive dissonance. It's going to make them think like, oh yeah, this is the world. It's against me. I have a persecution complex. I know I'm doing the right thing because if I wasn't doing the right thing, why would the world be trying to stop me from doing it kind of deal, yeah. right? This person is just under the under the influence of the adversary, mm-hmm. and and I've been yeah. told that this kind of thing would happen. This is this is aligning perfectly with what I have been primed to for this yeah. type yeah, of yeah. interaction, and yep. so it, um, it fits perfectly. Yeah, yeah. When but, when I was young, um, one of the one of the good things that my dad did for me is he raised me on the stories of of uh, Aesop, um, the the Grecian slave uh, Aesop's fables. Mm. And one of my favorite stories from that was the story of the sun and the north wind. And like the very short version is, is there's this guy walking down a path and the north wind bets the sun that he can blow the cloak from the man's shoulders. Um, and as hard as the north wind blows, uh, the man just holds his cloak more tightly and the sun just shines. And through its light, the man removes the cloak, uh, you know, it's warm because yeah. it's, it's too hot. Yeah. yeah. And, and I would rather do that same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's right. a good analogy. And I've, I try to do the same thing when I encounter missionaries. Sometimes it's more difficult than others. What I, what I try to do is just treat them like other human beings who are out doing what they think is right or correct or anything. But I, I deliberately try to make it not about their church and their beliefs and their faith. It's, hey, how are you doing? I'm sure it's got to be... You know, hard to do this, especially in Utah, where there's so many LDS people, and those mm-hmm. who aren't LDS are are usually very opposed to the church. It's a it's a very dichotomous existence here in Utah for for people who are Mormon and non-Mormon, and mm-hmm. so serving a mission here makes it that much more difficult if you're trying to actually bring people into the faith who are not current members. You know, you get a lot more support from members because there are so many of them here but it makes mm-hmm. it that much more difficult to recruit new members in a state where the, the faith is so dominant. And yeah. so I try to have, I wouldn't, that, Oh, go ahead. No, no, I go ahead. I was just going to say, so I try to have, you know, just a normal human to human interaction with them, you know, ask them how they're doing, where they're from, you know, how, how they came to get into the church, all that kind of stuff. And you know, that, no, I'm not an, I'm not a believer. Or I, or I was before I you know, I'm a former member, all of that kind of stuff. And we can have those kinds of conversations. My 
trigger point for when I stop being so kind is based on how they treat me. You know, I've, mm-hmm. I've had encounters before where I've had pleasant conversations with missionaries and then it's like they get to a point where it's like, okay, well, we've, we've spent 15, 20 minutes here now. Now it's time that we should start trying to proselytize. So now I need to tell this person who's told me they're a non-believer or that they're a former member that they've given up the keys to the kingdom in the afterlife and they're living in sin and are leading an unrighteous life and are missing out on all of these wonderful imaginary benefits that they'll, that they'll get in the afterlife while they're here on this doormat to the afterlife. And when they start saying shit like that, like, Oh, well, you know, one day you're going to find out how wrong you are that. Yeah. Then I, then I become not very nice. (laughs) Angry Dan. And Dan turned green. The the last interaction I had that way, like it went that way, you know, one of the guys was from, I think it was from England, and they were big into soccer. And we had the discussion about Americans call it soccer, you know, people Versus elsewhere call football. it football, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, talked about his favorite teams and all that kind of stuff. We had a pretty, pretty decent conversation. And then he tried to proselytize and said that, you know, he was sad for me that I'm not a believer because I'm going to miss out on all of these things. And I've chosen to reject the kindness and warmth and love of, of the God that he believes in. And I was not very nice after that and just told him, but I didn't, I didn't make it about him personally. I just said, look, man, you and I can have a conversation. It's great. I think you're probably a pretty decent person. You're, you're young. You don't really know what you're talking about right now. And that's fine. But Mm -hmm. I have to tell you that when you say shit like that to people, it's an instant turnoff. It instantly puts up their defenses and turns them away from you because you sound like a fucking prick when you say, when you say shit like that. And Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. we can continue talking about soccer and the weather and that kind of stuff. And that's perfectly fine. But if you open your fucking mouth and say something like that to me again, you're done. And the two of them just kind of looked at each other and was like, Oh, we're going to look at the time. It's, we should go now. (laughs) (laughs) My, my strategy has been slightly different. Um, And it's, it's funny, you know, we've, we've talked in the past about the, the paradigm from the LGBTQ community of activism of, of diplomats versus firebrands. Right. Mm. And in 95% of circumstances, I am a firebrand, but in this particular circumstance, I am a much more patient diplomat than I almost ever am with anything else. Mm. Um, And in that same kind of scenario is what you have, Dan, what I will do is I act like I'm giving friendly advice and I'll say, you know, um, I bet that's not a very effective tactic for you, right? Like I bet (laughs) that when you try to talk to people who are either like apostates from the church or not part of the church and you try to come at them and say like, oh, hey, they're missing out on these benefits. You probably think that you're extending like uh, uh, a hook, right? And that they'll think, oh, I want to have these benefits. But instead, you're telling them that they're living their life wrong. And you've got to look at the, at how they're living their life and see how they're happy and, and present how the church can add to that. But you need to look at like how they love their families and how they volunteer their time for for services and, and you know, spend time with their kids. And then what I do is I change the conversation so that now I'm talking about all the validating parts of life that have nothing to do with Mormonism, <laughs> especially those things that overlap with the kinds of things that Mormons do. Everyone has kids, right? Well, not, obviously not as a child-free person, right? But like <laughs> the average person has kids, right? Mormons don't own family. Mormons don't own volunteerism. They don't own marriage. So I start talking about the happiness that people have in these 
these things that Mormons claim to own, trying to like plant that little seed of doubt that makes the missionaries think, oh, wait, what are we actually selling them? <laughs> right. Uh, um, and that's that's the way I go at it, because I. I don't know, man. I used to sell cars <laughs> like well, I would much rather gross, you know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. It was super gross. I needed something to do, man. I was poor as shit. That's a story I'll have to tell sometime. Um, I was probably the youngest car salesman in Illinois back when I was 19. Oh, so one more thing. Um, I got so caught up thinking about my kitten and those Mormons. Um, I was also on Phil Ferguson's podcast, uh, which was just an absolute delight. Um, he, he runs like a financial podcast, uh, and he invited me on, um, we're actually looking to have him on in a couple of weeks. Um, and I'm really excited for that, but we had a great discussion about the Christian nationalism segment that we did recently. We talked a little bit about the, uh, January 6th insurrection and kind of where that comes from. It was, uh, it was a pretty good show. I enjoyed it. Uh, and that should be his most recent episode of the Phil Ferguson show. Um, but Shit, Ryan, how the hell was your week? Um I'm learning new skills. That's cool. Yeah. I decided to start power carving. How is that different from regular carving? Do you have to like lift something really heavy to power carve? <laughs> I use power tools instead okay. of doing it by hand. So I've been using my uh my spinning wheel of death, which is a four-inch circular chainsaw blade attached to my angle grinder to carve out tree stumps. Mm. That sounds dangerous. It fucking is. That thing goes <laughs> loose. You're losing a fucking hand. Uh-huh. Jesus Christ. Uh, so yeah, that's do been you get, fun. Do you get like an adrenaline rush from that at that point? Uh, no, I get a bunch of wood chips in the face. <laughs> um, I guess I know what I'm getting you for Christmas slash if your birthday is before then, like a welder mask or something. Oh, dude, I got one. Uh, but okay. like, like yesterday I was outside. Well, you can see my hands wrapped up right now. Uh, I had, uh, goggles on and I had my whole face covered, but I didn't have like my hair covered. And when I went to go take a shower, I was literally had chunks of wood coming out of the little bit of hair I have. Cause <laughs> oh, it's wow. just wood going fucking everywhere, but it's fun. I'm making some neat stuff. Wood going fucking everywhere. That Fuck, reminds yeah. me of this party I went to in New York city once. <laughs> do tell uh-huh everybody there was a fishbowl and everybody put their keys in there i don't know i thought it was a, a lot of leather safe, a lot of leather safe driving tactics but uh, uh, your, your, your your conversation about the missionaries makes you want to build my ouija board oh i after the show or in between segments i need to talk to you about that dice roller i've got oh yeah yeah, I need a lid for it because the okay. kitten keeps trying to jump into it. <laughs> hey, everybody, I'm Mary. And I'm Shelly. We have the Latter-day Lesbian Podcast. It's the podcast about an ex-Mormon gay girl just trying to figure out her life. Mm-hmm. And so we do that every week on a podcast, don't we? We do. You're supposed to jump in. Sorry. Just jump in any time. Okay. <laughs> I'm here. We are available on your favorite podcast app. Just uh, look for Latter-day Lesbian, where your favorite podcast can be heard. And you're listening to The Godless Revolution. You want a cup of coffee? In my faith, we abstain from caffeinated beverages, both hot and cold. In your... There were 12 tribes of Israel. Ten were lost. Lost who what now? Ten were lost. 
two of those made their way across the sea to this great and sacred land, the Nephites and the Lamanites. Once here, the rebellious Lamanites were cursed by God with skin of blackness, so they would not be attractive to my people. The, what are you, Nephites? Mormons. Thank you to everybody who has rated the show on iTunes and Stitcher and are following us on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. And to all our Patreon patrons, you make the show possible. Uh, welcome back, oh. everybody. I wanted to uh, just kind of quickly touch on something that occurred to me fairly recently, and I don't know why it took so long for me to even think about it. Um, but there are a lot of different areas in which non-believers seed ground to a religious mindset or relig- or religious traditions that I think we do so at a cost to our fellow non-believers and even believers because they don't know that there are other alternatives around. Um, over the weekend, it was actually Friday night, um, I've, I've talked about participating or conducting kind of ministerial services for a friend who recently had her both her mother and grandmother die within like a month of each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, her mother passed first or her mother died first. I'm, I'm not a big fan of euphemisms for people dying because it, it softens. I think the, the reality yeah. and, and that kind mm-hmm. of language comes from a religious background as well, that you right. don't want to call attention to the, to the fact that the person isn't here anymore. You want to, sure. you want it to be an aspirational thing where they've moved on to a better place. They're no longer, they're no longer in pain. They're seeing other, other dead relatives. They're happier. Now they're with God, all that kind of nonsense, right? They're, they're dead. They're, they're dead. gone. They're gone. Yeah. We'll, we'll yeah. never see yeah. them AP again. AP style book does the same thing actually. Oh really? Well, that's good. When I was in the news. Yeah. That's good. Yep. Um, but so her, her mother and her grandmother died within a month of each other. And uh, my dear friend, Tony asked if I would do kind of like the ministerial services um, at the celebration of life for her mother, which was on Friday. And prior to that, uh, the funeral for her grandmother, which was a couple weeks ago. And during both of them, um, you know, I just kind of conducted, I was kind of like the, the funeral or, or, I don't know, death MC kind of thing where, you know, traditionally we've, we've ceded that ground to believers that, I mean, I don't, I don't, I honestly don't know how other non-believers handle this kind of thing when a family member dies. I'm curious to have some feedback from our audience to say, you know, what, what types of experiences they've had living here in Utah and growing up in a very LDS family. I have, a definite like mind, you know, thing in my mind of, or a picture in my mind of how funerals go when a family mm-hmm. member or a friend dies here in Utah, you know, it's that there's going to be a viewing, there's going to be a graveside service. There's going to be uh, a, a prayer, a funeral service in honor of that person, typically at an LDS church where, the bishop or stake president gets up and, and, you know, thanks everybody for coming, offers a few kind words about the person that he probably didn't fucking know anyway, and pretends <sighs> to have some background information on. And then, you know, introduces a procession of speakers who are going to read the obituary. They're going to offer stories about 
the life of this person and things that they'd done, their accomplishments, their friendships, their loves throughout their lives, their history, kind of going over this person and dissecting their life and presenting it to everybody and filling in people on bits of information that maybe not everybody had or sharing stories, all of that kind of stuff. And then after the graveside service, everybody goes back to the church and you have the Relief Society who provides a meal for everybody and everybody sits around and talks and, you know, kind of just shares stories about the person. Sometimes even after that, there are gatherings at other members or other relatives' homes to to still continue mourning this person and talk about personal stories and, and memories of spending mm-hmm. time with them. And in all of that, it's a religious person who kicks all of that off, starts all of that, you know, basically is the MC for all of that. And then that there's a place where people can go together for that type of thing. And people who aren't religious don't have those types of services available to them by and large. As far as I know, like I said, I'm here in Utah. This is, this is kind of a new thing for me. I got my ministerial endorsement through the church of the flying spaghetti monster years and years ago. (laughs) And with that, my with my ecclesiastical and ordination i have performed a number of weddings and now recently i have performed ministerial services at funerals and i think that's something that prior to it prior to somebody even asking me to do it it wasn't even a thought in my mind that it was a thing i or anybody who was non-religious could even do and i'm sure a lot of that just has to do with me growing up here in utah and so i'm curious oh, to hear Oh, go ahead. Yeah. I was say before you even mentioned that, I know you mentioned to uh, us, I think you mentioned on the show a little bit, right? That you're going to be doing this. Uh-huh. It never crossed my mind and I'm not from Utah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm just curious to know what other people do or have seen ha- happen at a funeral service or a celebration of life or memorial service or wake or, you know, however you're celebrating or remembering the life of the person who is now dead, what do other people do that live outside of Utah and are non-believers? Is it that we almost always in these instances search out some kind of common ground through a religious organization where people can gather to hold these services and remembrances? It's, I know that sometimes it just happens at the mortuary, you know, for, for my friend's, grandmother, the service was at the mortuary. It wasn't at a church. And I'm guessing that that's a thing that happens elsewhere. I just don't know. Yeah. I know when, uh, I had a buddy of mine that died. That was a firefighter. It was probably, that was what, 2015. He passed away. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. we went to the bar. Yeah. Like we had yeah. the wake at a fucking bar eating chicken wings and doing that stuff. But as far as like a firefighter funeral goes, there are certain aspects to it, like that are just unique to firefighters. Same thing with like a military funeral. There's things that are unique to a military funeral. And like, there is just thinking on it. Like, yeah, they say the firefighters prayer, like, and all that shit at the the funeral. And they have where they'll set firefighters out and they'll make a uh, arc with some fire hoses mm-hmm. or like a fog pattern, a fire of water, and they'll have someone mm-hmm. wear that person's gear and walk through that. Like they're crossing through the veil or going to the other side. Mm-hmm. And yeah, but it still has a lot of religious 
I guess, significance or holdovers from religion as Mm -hmm. far as those funerals go. And it's, that's just what, oh, you're doing a firefighter funeral. That's traditional stuff you do. But Mm -hmm. what if they're not religious? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that just like, religion's just, I mean, I don't even think that we can say that religion has co-opted this, right? Like it's, it's, it's it's just the further evolution of it. Like, I mean, if we, if we try and cast our brains back, to what life must have been like, uh, you know, at the at the advent of agriculture, right? Like when people were still dressing themselves in animal leathers kind of deal, right? When somebody died, if there was going to be a ritual being done, you know, it's going to be a combination of remembrance of the individual and ushering them into whatever the afterlife would be, right? Like with death and funerals in particular, I would be willing to bet that the rituals that humankind has done since literally prehistory have almost certainly been religious in nature. Right. Or, mm. And thereby like the fact that religion is the default for that kind of thing. Isn't surprising to me. Now I do think that like we as atheists should start to create our own rituals that are not spiritualist right now that we are a larger subset of society. Um, but it doesn't surprise me that death would have a, a spiritual ritual associated with it, right? Because people fear just nothing after yeah. life. And so it doesn't surprise me that they're trying to usher somebody in into something else rather than be confronted with their own, you know, finite being. And um, I almost want to say, maybe I might be wrong in this, say it's more of a mythology of death than mm-hmm. a religion of death. Like it's, yeah. Well, I mean, even before Christianity or any religion, it was, well, where are they going? Yeah. Right. Right. Well, and in a lot yeah. of cases, I mean, the, the two, the two recent events that I you know, provided ministerial services for kind of drove home this idea that I hadn't really thought about before that it's really gross that religion co-opts the grieving process for so many people that yeah. it, it serves and inserts itself as the only way really that remembrances or mourning for this person can or should happen and that we need not cede that ground to religious individuals or organizations anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, there is a better way. Yeah. I just don't exactly know what way that should be or how, right. it, you know, and, and, and it's and different not, for all people, I'm sure. I'm, I'm not trying to jump from an is to an ought with mm-hmm. that. You know, I recognize that it is the case that almost certainly since prehistory, Funerals have been religious, right? Now, absolutely, I think we should change that. Um, but I just don't see, I don't feel the same, like, contempt towards religious people for doing funerals as I do, like, say, weddings or comings of age and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Because for funerals, like, I can see the through line there, right? Like, that's something that they've kind of always owned. Um, on the other hand, things like weddings, um, you know, if you cast your eyes back far enough, um, have been community things, you know, it's, it's, mm-hmm. let's get our people together and enjoy joining the lives of these two people, um, whether through love or sharing land or what have you. Um, and that should be, and once was a much more communal and human oriented ritual and has been co-opted by religion in order to create, you know, a religious influence on the structure of family and religious control over the structure of family. And so like, I'm, I'm in favor of, but not angry about creating atheist and humanist spaces in funerals. I am 
strident and angry about creating humanist rituals for things like coming of age, weddings, and that kind of thing. Because I definitely do think that religion needs to butt the fuck out of people's lives in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and maybe that's just like more nuanced than is necessary. But like, that's how I've always felt about those things. And I'm lucky. Like I've been to very few weddings and zero funerals. And no, that's a lie. I've been to one funeral in my life. And so I feel like that's given me kind of a clearer view of like, since I haven't had a shit ton of influence on like how things are supposed to be with quote fingers that you listener can't see. Um, it makes me think of more how I would want things to be absent any stimuli at all. And maybe that's just an ignorant stance. Uh, you, but yeah. You remember uh, Pat Tillman? Mm-hmm. I do. Yes. Did you, did you ever watch the video of his brother at his funeral? You know, I did not. So Pat Tillman was basically an atheist mm-hmm. and at his funeral, they were doing all the religious stuff and going on and on. And his brother got up to give his little spiel and he got up there. He had been drinking mm-hmm. and he got up there. He had a beer in his hand and he right. basically goes to all of them. Fuck you. He's dead. Mm-hmm. He's not going anywhere. You motherfuckers don't know him. You mm-hmm. weren't part of his life. He doesn't believe in fucking God. He's fucking dead. And that was basically his speech that he gave at his brother's funeral. Like, fuck yeah. you for, for trying to profit off my brother's death. Right. And that's where I can see saying, yeah, there needs to be a different, like, in that case, religion owned his funeral. Like, that's not probably what he wanted. But since he became a public figure, he left the NFL to join the military and died in a combat zone. And they took it over and made a whole religious spiel about it. Had the pastors up there, had dignitaries up there, all giving their religious stuff. And his brother's like, fuck you guys. He's not <laughs> religious. He didn't fucking want this. Yeah. You're not honoring. He's fucking dead. You're not honoring him right. as, a, as a person. You're taking mm-hmm. this opportunity to, to attempt to proselytize to more people, to remind yeah. them of the big bad bully in the sky that they should be afraid of and or hopeful to be sitting near after their death. Yeah, which mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. why I kind of had more respect for his brother in that situation to get up in front of all those high-ranking people and tell them, fuck you. Yeah. yeah. Like, this yeah. is wrong. Yeah, it just, it mm-hmm. struck me as really, as a really gross thing that we just allow to happen because it is tradition that, you know, a religious leader of some sort generally is the MC and then, you know, uses that opportunity as a proselytizing exercise to remind everybody that, you know, you may be doing yeah. okay in your non-believing life here in this mortal realm, but eventually you're going to to have a comeuppance. There will be there will be a time of judgment in an afterlife that we all here say is a thing that is real and is happening. And this is a reminder for you that you'd better get right with God. And that just that always yeah. I don't know. It's it's the become more I, the default position. Yeah, and the more I think about it, the the grosser I think it is. You know, at, at both services. Um, my friend Tony had asked that I read the, you want a physicist to speak at your funeral mm. thing from yeah. Aaron Freeman. Mm. Yeah. And I'm not going to read the whole thing, but, but there's a, there's a portion of it uh, right near the end that I, I, I thought was great. And every time that I, well, all, all two times that I have, <laughs> that I have read this at at a funeral or celebration of life or remembrance for anybody, um, I like to look up 
as I'm as I'm reciting this last part to just kind of gauge the reaction from the different people who are there in the I don't know, gathering, for lack of a better word, the congregation of people that are there. Um, right. But at the end of it, you know, the the little thing that Aaron Freeman wrote at the end of it uh, says, and you'll want the physicist to explain to those who loved you that they need not have faith. Indeed, they should not have faith. Let them know that they can measure that scientists have measured precisely the conservation of energy and found it accurate, verifiable, and consistent across space and time. You can hope your family will examine the evidence and satisfy themselves that the science is sound and that they'll be comforted to know your energy is still around. According to the law of conservation of energy, not a bit of you is gone. You're just less orderly. And I love that because it, it, provides a way for all of us to think about the person as still being here with us and that we can still, I don't know, enjoy or spend some, some part of our existence with their, with the essence of that person who is no longer with us. Just knowing that a part of them is still around their sentient being is gone, but the particles and the things that made them who they are interacted with and are still a part of all of us, they're still around and we're interacting with them every day. We don't need some, you know, mm-hmm. miraculous belief or some belief in a, a miraculous afterlife that where we're all going to be able to see and spend time with each other. We can, we can spend time with them in the memories that we have and the times that we spent together. I, right. You don't I mean, need all of the religious baggage and bullshit. You could even say that they are now dead and they're in the ground and they're providing nutrients and their energy is helping grow this tree, which is now providing oxygen that we are breathing. Yeah, mm-hmm. actually, along along that line, and we're running short on time for this segment, but I want to make sure that I give a shout out to one of our listeners who is also a member of the Facebook Godless Revolution community. Uh, listener Peter Scott posted in there. Uh, he says, just listening to the discussion of funerals and worm food, and I immediately thought of the Yorkshire Anthem. Those of you who live in what is undoubtedly the premier county of the United Kingdom are brought up with this song from an early age. It tells the salutary story of a young man who ventures out onto the moors above Ilkley with his girlfriend, Mary Jane. Being a tough northern lad, he decides to do this without a hat, succumbs to a cold, and dies. The hero of the tale is subsequently buried where his mortal remains are consumed by worms. The worms are in their turn consumed by ducks, which are themselves consumed by the good folks of the area. The song finishes by reflecting on the fact that the hero of the tale is eaten by his nearest and dearest. The dialect and language of Yorkshire can be challenging for the outsider. Some of those from the U.S. working on the NSA base at Menwith Hill do find us hard to understand, but here are the lyrics. Um, And I won't try to I won't try to read yeah. the lyrics as they are in the song in in the native tongue because I just can't but uh, I'll read the translations where it says where have you been since I last saw you on Ilkley Moor without a hat uh, where hmm. where have you been since I saw you and then the then a, the post says that the following verses follow the same format that's been a court in Mary Jane you've been dating Mary Jane you're bound to catch a bad cold and die. Then we'll have to bury you. Then worms will consume your body. The ducks will eat the worms. Then we'll eat the ducks. Then we'll have eaten you. And it just evokes this idea of the circle of life and that nobody 
is ever truly gone. I mean, the things that made that them a person materially are still here and still around with us. And then they live on in the memories that we have of them and the stories that we tell about the things that we did with them. I just think it's, I think it's a much better sentiment than lying to people about a possible existence in some fantasy fairy tale afterlife. Yeah. Right. And I thought that was really cool. I never even heard of that yeah. being a thing before he posted it. So thank you very much. I'm Bryce Barkenagle. Have you ever wondered if Joseph Smith was drugging the early Mormons? Turns out it might be possible when you have a fantastic congregation that is witnessing angels floating around in the rafters and think that the temple is on fire and they're running out in the snow and writhing around on the ground naked. Yeah, as it turns out, drugs might be the best explanation. Be sure to check out my Sunstone Symposium presentation on the Joseph Smith Entheogen Theory by punching that into any YouTube browser. And thank you so much for checking that out, and be sure to check out the Naked Mormonism podcast. This is the Godless Revolution. You ask my faith. I'm a priest of the Mormon Church and a member of the Quorum of Seventy. Last time I checked, there's still a kill order on the books for all Mormons in the state of Missouri. Sadly, the people of Missouri are not sympathetic to our faith. And yet here you are. And yet here I am. Solid in my beliefs and unafraid. And for why? I'm sorry? I'm saying, with all due respect to your holiness, what the slippery fuck are you doing in my office at 8 a.m. on a Wednesday morning, Mormon or no? U.S. Marshal Dick Wickware, in pursuit of two cons, escaped the night previous from Our Lady of Regret Women's Prison. For shit's sake, son. Why the Christ didn't you just say so when I walked in? Captain Hannock, I can safely say you blasphemed me more than any man I've ever met. And I've been to Cleveland. If you have questions, comments, concerns, compliments, corrections, criticisms, or concepts for content, contact the show via email at godlessrevolution at gmail.com, by text or voicemail at 330-81-REBEL, or Twitter the twatter at TGR Podcast. Thank you! Okay, so, welcome back everybody. During this last segment, I wanted to talk about something that, I don't know, I, I had seen people comment, or make a few comments about this supposed change in LDS doctrine, Mormon church doctrine, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, that they're trying to change their doctrine again, away from something that has made them a quote-unquote peculiar people, according to one of the prior church elders, that sets... Let me Okay, let me back up here a little bit. <laughs> so, one of the foundational tenets tenets in the LDS faith is that, and it's what sets them apart from other more mainstream Christianity sects. Um, it's one of the things, and it's a big thing, uh, is that a lot of other Christian, a lot of other Christian sects don't view Mormons as true Christians because they don't adhere to things like the traditionalist view of the Trinity of Jesus's birth um, his resurrection, how Mary became impregnated, all of that kind of stuff. And then there are some major differences also in the pre-existence and in the afterlife. And of course, all that comes with the, both of those things, like the war in heaven, in in the pre-existence according to Mormon doctrine, and the different levels of heaven, 
according to Mormon doctrine, the non-existence of a hell in Mormon doctrine. There's a bunch of quirky things about Mormonism mm -hmm. that sets it apart from more mainstream Christian sects that a lot of Mormons don't even know because they don't know much about their own religion, let alone other religions. But for a very, very long time, and it's something that I learned growing up in the church and had always knew was a thing that Mormons believed, was that if you are a worthy tithe-paying male in the LDS church, you can eventually become a god because according to Mormon theology, Yahweh or Elohim was once a man and was exalted into godhood. And that's why a lot of, well, that's, as I said, that's one of the reasons why other mainstream Christian sects don't view Mormonism as a truly Christian religion. And recently, the LDS Church has tried to rewrite that doctrine or policy or its or its contextualization within the LDS Church's history and canon. And it's really fucking weird to me. It's going it's going to be really difficult. I posted this out on Facebook um, just yesterday. Uh, I said that the latest news of religious. Re Religious revisionism from the LDS Church is that it is trying to mold their doctrine to be more in line with mainstream Christianity. In order to work toward completing this Herculean task, the Church is now distancing itself from one of its foundational doctrinal teachings, that of exaltation. Exaltation is one of the Church's more peculiar beliefs as compared to mainstream Christianity. The belief basically boils down to the notion that worthy, tithe-paying, temple-married men may, may themselves become gods in the afterlife. Uh, the Church of Spin Doctors are going to have a have to bend a lot of people to the point of breaking with this one, and it is clearly as it is clearly defined in the Church's own Doctrine and Covenants, one of the foundational texts of the faith. And so, within the DNC, as it is often referred in Mormon circles, uh, DNC one thirty two nineteen to twenty two, in particular, I think will be difficult for the Church to overcome. And that particular section of Doctrine and Covenants says. And you'll have to pardon me because this is old-timey English and it's very repetitive. Uh, Joseph Smith liked to repeat himself a lot like I do. It's probably where I get it, growing up Mormon. <laughs> anyway, the, the text says— I mean, says, when you get paid by the word, right? <laughs> the, and the, the text within the DNC says, And again, verily I say unto you, if a man marry oh, a wife by my word, I know I've, I've slipped into conference talk. <laughs> uh, if, you, if a man marry a wife by my word, which is my law, and by the new and everlasting covenant, and it is sealed unto them by the Holy Spirit of promise, by him who is anointed, unto whom I have appointed this power and the keys of this priesthood, and it shall be said unto them, Ye shall come forth in the first resurrection, and if it be after the first resurrection, in the next resurrection, and shall inherit thrones, kingdoms, principalities, and powers, dominions, all heights and depths. Then shall it be written in the Lamb's book of life, that he shall commit no murder whereby to shed innocent blood. And if ye abide in my covenant, and commit no murder whereby to shed innocent blood, it shall be done unto them in all things whatsoever my servant hath put upon them in time and through all eternity. 
and shall be of full force when they are out of the world, and they shall pass by the angels and the gods, which are set there to their exaltation and glory in all things, as hath been sealed upon their heads, which glory shall be a fullness and a continuation of the seeds forever and ever. What? And this is the most important part here. <laughs> then shall they be gods, because they have no end. Therefore shall they be from everlasting to everlasting, because they continue. Then shall they be above all, because all things are subject unto them. Then shall they be gods, because they have all power, and the angels are subject unto them. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except ye abide my law, ye cannot attain to this glory." For straight is the gate, and narrow the way that leadeth unto the exaltation and continuation of the lives, and few there be that find it, because ye receive me not in the world, neither do ye know me. That says specifically that these people will become gods. They yes. shall be gods. Angels will be subject to them. They will have all power. I don't know how you get around that, but the fucking church is trying. <laughs> it's trying. I, you know what? Like, real hard. Uh, I, I'm upset too because in first edition Pathfinder it was clearly listed in page 189 of the bestiary that if you perform a profane ritual to create a phylactery spending 120,000 gold pieces writing down magical runes on strips of parchment and putting them down in a phylactery that you could accomplish lichdom and now in second edition Pathfinder in the rewritten bestiary on page 220 the lich is described but there is no expression of how the ritual could happen to the player character could become an immortal undead archmage and it's incredibly frustrating to me this revision of the core doctrine of immortality i want this power and they won't give it to me anymore <laughs> motherfucking harry potter <laughs> I just <laughs> I'm sorry to be an ass. Like, but that's I mean, that's the thing. It's fucking bullshit. It's made up. <laughs> oh, absolutely, absolutely. I just but but I mean, like people take this shit seriously. They they make and end relationships. I take this very this. seriously. Being undead <laughs> means I'm no longer subject to sleep effects, mental compulsion, uh, you know, a variety of disease, poison. It gives me resistance uh. to cold. I can't do that anymore as a wizard. It's frustrating. This is meaningful to me. <laughs> I just, it, it just, it struck me as so odd because this is one of the church's foundational teaching. It's something that, you know, men in the LDS church use all the time as one of their superpowers. You know, it's something that they internalize as I'm going to be a God one day and I'm going yeah. to use this promise of power in an afterlife to Lord over my yep. household in yep. the mortal realm. Because if they don't I, do what I say, they can't join me there. They're not going to yes. be my loyal subjects when I'm a God. 
Yeah, a low-level wizard only rolls a D4 hit die when <laughs> fighters get a D10. And when you commit the the ritual of becoming a lich, your hit die goes up to 1D12. <laughs> it's, it's the ultimate balancing act that finally makes you stronger than the melee fighters. And now I don't get that anymore. <laughs> That's how I used to lord power over those martial classes that were so much stronger than me in the early game. And I don't get to have that in the late game anymore. <laughs> <laughs> they've, they've made me weak they've laid me low oh no oh no it's me which is not me shitting on you dan but i'm trying to point out that like it's fucking bullshit it's oh, yeah. just made up shit oh, and yeah. like if if your draw to the mormon church was that you got to be your own god then i want to introduce you to like sid meyer's civilization or stellaris like if you really want to have your own planet i got some games for you <laughs> but that's just make-believe Taylor, I mean, this is this is real life and real death. We're talking oh, about yeah, the master of the universe here. Yeah, and <laughs> and so when when I heard these initial rumblings that the church was trying to change this doctrine to say that no, that's not what they believe that they don't actually believe that you know you can become a god and inherit your own planet and all that kind of stuff. It was like, well, that seems really that seems <laughs> that seems really weird for them to try to do that because. It's a foundational teaching within the church. It's in the Doctrine and Covenants, clear as fucking crystal, that it says right there, they shall be gods. Angels will be subject to them, right? I mean, the Book of Mormon also used to say that the Lamanites were made black, right, because of their their like lack of belief, and they have changed that. They've they've mm-hmm. gotten away with, um, or they've done away with white and delightsome, uh, delightsome, and now made it what, like pure and delightsome, pure and delightsome. or something yeah. like that, yeah. In certain yeah. sections, I mean, but it still mentions white and delightsome and others. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, but but like the the current right now Book of Mormon has edited that out. Like mm-hmm. that's the thing that they're constantly doing. They're they're fucking Orwellian, and like the only difference between Mormonism and Catholicism is that Catholicism started like fifteen hundred years ago, mm-hmm. right? If if we had podcasts and the internet and literacy and previous versions of the Bible that we could reliably get access to, we would also be counting, you know, the same sorts of differences in doctrine year over year that, you know, the Catholic church was publishing or Protestant churches were publishing. Like it's, it's all bullshit. They constantly change it to reflect like current political situations. It's just that we're more easily aware of it now because information is easier to get a hold of. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, and it was interesting when I made that post that even even other non-believers, uh, other non-believer friends of mine who are former Mormons, didn't initially believe that this was a thing the LDS Church was trying to do. That they're trying to distance themselves from this core tenet and core mm-hmm. teaching, this this core piece of doctrine within the church. They had to have proof. Mm-hmm. They, they, you know, I, I received several requests from people wanting to know the source of my information and in that in that the church was trying to change this. And so I pointed them mm-hmm. to the LDS church's own website in order to show yeah. that, you know, this isn't just something that people are making up or, or a rumor going around because that happens often within the LDS faith because, because the mm-hmm. LDS faith is a, is a faith that practices and preaches personal revelation you have a lot mm-hmm. of people who say they've got a revelation about something or they've heard something is changing. And so it starts this rumor mill. It's all a big n- bunch of nonsense, but it, it happens every now and then. So on the LDS church's 
actual website, and I'll post a link to this in the show notes. Uh, there's a section that's frequently asked questions about Latter-day Saints. I want to put, I want to direct everybody to questions 11 and 12 and the answers for those questions. Uh, question 11 says, do Latter-day Saints believe they can become gods? The answer from the official LDS church says, Latter-day Saints believe that is God's purpose to exalt us to become like him. But this teaching is often misrepresented by those who caricature the faith. The Latter-day Saint belief is no different than the biblical teaching, which states, quote, the spirit itself beareth witness upon or beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. Romans eight sixteen to 17. Sure. It's, yeah, they're, they're, they're taking the quirkiness of the Mormon Bible, the Book of Mormon, and being like, oh, no, we weren't being that weird. They're being if, deliberately if, misleading and equivocating. Yeah. If I can do nothing more for this podcast by way of being on it, <laughs> is that I want our listeners <laughs> to, to know understand. D&D. Also, yes. <laughs> um, this this is just part of my gradual campaign to turn this into a D&D podcast. No. Um, <laughs> uh, I, like, I need you to understand that religious people, and conservatives where those two aren't completely overlapped um, do not actually hold doctrinal policy positions, period. Everything that they value, they value in the context of the present day and they will change it. And the conservatives and religious folks will try to tell you that they believe things that have been the same. And that's why they call themselves conservative because they're trying to conserve the things that have always been that way. Mm-hmm. And I'm here to pull the wool off from over your eyes that their positions are constantly changing. You know, it's every time I point out that you should not be surprised by the hypocrisy of conservatives railing against cancel culture one day while they tried to ban Harry Potter in school and the Dixie yeah. Chicks, you know, in yesteryear, that they don't hold unchangeable positions like they say that they do. And when you see it in real time to not be surprised by it. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I completely agree. Yeah. I just, and I'm not trying to be angry at you, Dan. Like I hope no, that, that yeah. doesn't like, I know no. that that's, it's accidental that it comes across that way, but it's like, yeah, it's a big doctrinal change. They do that all the fucking time. Uh-huh. How do we use this to like, points that out to believers, right? Like how, how do we take that next step? It's one thing just to say, Hey, this is a thing that's happening. What's the next step in saying, Hey, religious people, your stuff is full of shit. Here's how, you know, you can tell like that's, that's that next step. That's the important part. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it absolutely is. I just don't know how, I guess, I guess I, I know how they get away with it and how they expect to get away with it in that they've, indoctrinated people from birth that they need to just mm-hmm. submit to authority and the church's word is, is final. You know, they're, the yeah. church will never lie to them because the church has told them that they will never lie to them. And the church is true. Yeah. So, so they'll clearly, just gaslight them, right? Yeah. They'll, they'll say that what we did in our lesson last year isn't a thing this year. And it's probably to their benefit that they have an annual lesson plan. And so they typically cover a piece of doctrine only once in a given year that they re up that annually, but it also means that you're probably a year out from having covered it the previous time. So you may not have as clear a memory when they cover it the next time. And so they can institute 
changes to doctrine on that annual basis. And the average believer who has now frustratingly tried to keep their kid from smashing Cheerios into the carpet for the first hour and then listen to some fucking geriatric drone at them for the second hour probably isn't at the peak of their critical thinking abilities by the third hour when they cover this doctrinal shit. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure that's it. It just, the level of dishonesty. So though, they just nod and say, okay, that's what I believe now. Can I go home and eat because Jesus Christ? Yeah. Yeah. I, think, I have to go to work tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. I think my biggest problem with it, aside from the control it attempts to exert over people and the, the disingenuous ways in which it seeks to do that is just the level of, of blatant outright, I mean, demonstrably false things that the church says and just pretends like it's a okay, that they're not lying that they, of course that's, it's always been this way. Oh, you've just misunderstood the DNC this entire fucking time for the (laughs) 200 years of this church's existence that we've taught everybody these things. Everybody was wrong. And we're just setting that right now, 200 fucking years later. But they're lying about a lie. It's like if Carl Sagan said, oh, the invisible dragon in my garage is not actually a green invisible dragon. It's a purple invisible dragon. Like, it's still bullshit. (laughs) It makes all the difference. It's really easy to change your lie when you're already lying about a lie. Yeah. Yeah. I just already bullshit. Yeah. Well, I've I've always had a real I've had a hard time with liars. Uh, My ex-mother-in-law once stated it perfectly because she was much the same way. She said that, you know, I'd rather a thief than a liar because a thief, I can expect that they're going to do that with a liar. I can't tell if you're telling me the truth or not. You tell me a lie and again, get caught in it. Then you've broken that level of trust. And I don't know that I can value and believe what you tell me in the future. And for so Mm -hmm. many religious believers that just doesn't happen because they've been taught that, well, I'm not lying to you. You've just misunderstood me. Because you don't understand the ways of God. I understand them more than you. So just roll with it, okay? Trust me that I've got your best interests in mind and don't mm-hmm. worry your pretty little head about it. Yeah. And I mean, that's just gaslighting. Like, yeah. like really what it is is just one large institution of gaslighting, um, which again, like let's look at conservatives in general. You know, I, I make the joke about the GOP standing for gaslight, obstruct, and project. Mm-hmm. And like, That's how they live their lives. As soon as they need to change some element of their political or religious culture in order to keep asses in seats and cash coming into donation coffers, they will adjust slightly and say that that's always been the case. Yeah. Yeah. I just, like I said, I I get upset by just the level of dishonesty and the harms that come with treating people like they're just cattle to be to be herded you know that that they're well i guess i mean they are all sheep right they're all the lord's sheep who will follow him wherever he goes and do what he says do as i'm doing follow follow me yeah yeah, yeah. and my, my was, typical thing would be is that if you've got religious family members be a good example to them as to what life on the outside looks like because all of the people whom i know who didn't like grow up disbelieving the Mormon church. Like I was raised Mormon, right? But I knew it was bullshit from about when I was eight, right? And I've got friends who didn't end up leaving the church until later in their lives. And in every one of those cases, they were far more driven to leave the church because they saw how it was harming the people around them than because of like 
doctrinal changes, right? One of my mm-hmm. best friends is probably listening to this called me one day and said, me and my wife are finally leaving the church because of how it keeps flip-flopping its stance on how to treat gay members within the Mm. church. Um, And he said, that was the straw that broke our back. Um, And like, I have many, many stories just like that. Um, And so what we need to do, you know, a like be angry when the, when the religion does this kind of doctrinal stuff. Uh, But more importantly, be there for your family and friends who are still in the church and show them that there is something better on the outside um, so that they have an off ramp. And when things like this frustrate them, they can see that life is just fine on the outside. Mm -hmm. That's, that's where I come from. Yeah. I think that, yeah, I absolutely agree. I, and it's something that I wish I were better at and, and I'm trying to get better at it my default mode for stuff like this is anger. And I think a lot of that has to do with (laughs) living in Utah and my religious upbringing and and Mm -hmm. toxic masculinity, all of that shit that I just, my default Mm -hmm. is anger. I get so angry when I see shit like this and just know that they're lying to people. They're Mm -hmm. outright Mm -hmm. fucking lying to their congregation, to their devout members who give 10% of their of their lifetime earnings to this church who volunteer Mm -hmm. thousands and thousands of hours throughout their lives in service of callings for this church. And they're just repeatedly treated like mushrooms kept in the dark and fed shit over and over Mm -hmm. and over again for their entire lives until they die, hoping for some eternal reward that they will never, ever get. Mm -hmm. Well, the thing is, is that people are not taught critical thinking in K through 12. Right. They just aren't. So a lot of people are never equipped with the tools to actually think their way out of whatever brainwashing they were raised in. Um, in the ex Mormon Facebook group this week, there was a guy who chimed in and, and he asked a question that was, uh, um, I, I obviously, me speaking as him, me quoting him, I obviously am in support of trans rights. What do you folks think about transracialism, right? And of course, that started a fucking shitstorm, rightfully so. And I ended up starting a dialogue with this guy to basically point out that, like, that is pretty much only ever something used by, like, alt-right folks or the intellectual dark web in order to undermine either, like, systemic racism issues or trans issues or both. And I ended up like having a fairly engaged conversation with this guy to teach him how to go about doing his own research before blasting people from like minority or oppressed communities who are constantly fielding stupid ass questions like this. Right. Mm -hmm. And at the end of it, it was like, listen, man, like I'm not angry at you. You have to understand why these people are angry at you and it's because you need to do your own work, but also here are the tools as to how to do your own work. And a lot of these folks don't have the tools to do Mm -hmm. their own work. And so I, I think that like, if there is a maturing process to happen with like coming to atheism, I think it starts with being one of the frontline fighters that does the angry thing and, and, tears people a new butt right when they are trying to like proselytize at people you know when they're trying to tell gay people that they are wrong for being gay we need the front liners who are still in the angry atheist phase to just show up and yell at them right to like give them as much as they get right but then i think that after a while it's probably important for those front liners to like retire from the field 
and start being engaged in more of that like bridge building work that tries to build up people who might be on their way out. And like, just as was said in that uh, firebrands versus diplomat article, you know, uh, let a person do what they're good at. But I think if you come to a point in your journey, you know, dear listener, where, where you've gotten less angry, I think that it would be a good use of your time to learn how to stow that anger and see a person who might be like ripe for an off ramp and give it to them. Right. If you have the patience for that and you don't have an obligation to do it every time, but if you find yourself in a position where you do have the patience, try to be the person that says, Hey, let me, let me ask you some questions. Let me teach you some tools. Right. Um, and that's just me. That's just my soapbox this week. Cause I've had it happen a few times recently. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think anyone's wrong for being in their angry atheist phase. I think it's cathartic and necessary for a lot of folks, but I do think that that, you know, if you have the patience for it from time to time, trying to be the off ramp is very helpful. Well, and it's one of those things that it takes, it takes a village, right? And it takes a, a bunch of different voices and a bunch of different types of communication with anybody in order to get them to change their mind. Sometimes mm-hmm. that angry atheist is the, is the thing that initially provides a little bit of a wake up call for somebody who is saying some problematic things or doing something problematic. It's somebody getting angry with them for being such a shithead that, that makes them stop and Mm -hmm. think for half a second. Oh shit. Yeah. Maybe I ought not do this in the future. And then somebody kinder, you know, it primes them to be more receptive for a kinder, softer, gentler voice to Mm -hmm. come along and say, Hey man. Yeah. Like you just said, Taylor, I, you know, people are upset with you because you did this. Let me, let me show you how you can be better in the future. Yeah. Yeah. Trans people are tired of everyone around them asking them is X, Y, Z. Okay. For me to say to you or ask you about or whatever. Cause they're constantly getting asked those questions, find mm-hmm. an author who writes about trans issues and see what they've written about that. See if there are primers out there for people who are like becoming trans accepting, like do that before you bother your trans friend who is not only being bothered by you, but tons of other people too, mm-hmm. because they are the out trans person. And so they become a nexus for those kinds of questions. And it's exhausting. Yeah. Somebody, all, yeah right? somebody who's having to live their life in defense of their life, <laughs> like yeah, providing right. to everybody yeah. a defense of who they are as a, as a fucking human being. And they shouldn't have mm-hmm. to do that. Yeah. Well, this has been a lot of fun guys. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. Appreciate you both ever so much, but we have exhausted our time. In fact, I think we're a bit over. Yeah. Nah. Well, that's it's okay. Um, this is one of our longer episodes. We uh, we've been doing pretty well lately. Yeah, for the most part. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've <laughs> thoroughly enjoyed all of this. Um, before we go, though, I want to make sure that we thank our Patreon supporters because they help keep the show going. That would be two skeptical chaps: Alan Firth, uh, Don't Be a Richard, Hunter Grin, John McCullough, Ollie Olson, Sinead Duffy, Steve Kuno, Stephen Andrus. Tiffany Hudson. Vanessa. Ooh, I get it this time. <laughs> All hail Peanut Buttra. <laughs> the guy that asks questions before he finishes the show. Andrew Vodapich. Uh, Corey Ebert. Jeff Peterson. Jeremy Goodson. Megan Mitchell. Utah Outcasts. Wesley Aaron. Freethinker215. Matthew Sanders. Chad Pryor. Janet Uter. Purple Dragon. Savita Kuna. Tim Jacobson. Trisha Weir. 
a noble spirit and big as the smallest man. A perfectly cromulent statement. Oh, that was perfect. Good job, Just Ryan. Nailed it. <laughs> Solid. Ted Sellen. Sarah Segovia. And James. Thank you all so very much. If you, dear listener, would like to become a Patreon patron, and we would encourage you doing so, you can do it very easily by going to patreon.com slash godlessrevolution, where you can contribute as little as $1 per episode to help keep the show going. We would greatly appreciate it. If you are averse to using Patreon, you can also uh, help keep the show going by sending us money at our PayPal account. You can do that very easily through our email address of godlessrevolution at gmail.com. Thank you, thank you, thank you to everybody who has done so. Tell your friends about it. Share the show around. Uh, our uh, Christian nationalism series, I think, was awesome and is easily shareable and a great resource for a lot of people who don't really know what all of the hubbub is around evangelical Christians trying to turn our country into a theocracy. That's it for me. I am going to go talk to my mommy. I haven't talked to her for a little while. I'm going to give her a call. Nice. I'll probably do my normal playing with wood routine. <laughs> I'm about to start a new campaign in a D&D game, and I'm super excited about it because it starts at high level. Ooh. So, well, yeah. cool, cool. Have a good week, everyone. See you next week. I could drive a mile through your skull Woke as fuck existing in a lull You think you've got it figured out Styrofoam for your takeout Blinders on, we're racing for the win No competition, let the games begin Speeding past the finish line No moment spare for what's behind Don't you, don't you get it? Don't you, don't you get it? I don't want to wait around Till you decide to figure it out Thank you.